Welcome to Church on the Edge, a podcast designed to challenge you and help you rethink what church is and what church should be. This is your host, Dan Armistead. You can learn more about me on my website, danarmistead.com, and follow me through my regular post under the heading of Church on the Edge on both medium.com and substack.com, where I invite and challenge you to live life on the edge like Jesus. I want to begin today with the opening words of Paul's letter to the Galatians. These come right after his initial greeting. And in fact, you know what? I think I'm just going to go back and include that greeting as well. So let's start in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what we read. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I want you to to zero in with me on that phrase, rescue us from this present evil age. Now, that's what Jesus, God's Son, Messiah, has done. He has rescued you and me from this present evil age. And that is the gospel or good news, if you will. Jesus Christ delivered you and me from this present evil age. That's the gospel. But that begs the question, doesn't it? Delivered to what? If you and I have been rescued from this present evil age, where are we now? I mean, I look around, I read the news, and you know, it It seems to me this present evil age is still pretty much around me. I mean, how can Paul say we've been delivered from it? (laughs) Now, there's an answer to that question, and it's an important answer to an important question because it strikes at the heart of who we are and the very nature of our calling as followers of the Lord, or, or maybe it would be clearer if I said as followers of the King, King Jesus. Whenever we say Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the scripture, that simply means the King Jesus Christ. And it's very important early in our study of Galatians that we answer this question about where are we now? What have we been delivered from? What is the gospel? Because what it's going to do is going to help us down the road as we really get into the thick of Paul's argument in this letter. Now, I have said previously that a lot of the teaching on Galatians tends to focus almost exclusively on the difference between salvation by works and salvation by faith in Christ alone. 
But the fact is, if that's our primary emphasis as we study this letter, we're going to miss the real issue and what makes this letter of Galatians so relevant for our day. So I want to take some time today to answer the question, how have we been delivered from this present evil age? What have we been delivered to? Because in answering that question, and and you might be surprised to hear this, but in answering that question, we will gain a greater understanding of what the gospel is. And I'll be honest, most Christians today have a very limited, and can I just say it, shallow understanding of the gospel. Interestingly enough, this letter to the Galatians contains the word gospel 12 times. That's six chapters and 12 references to the gospel. In fact, five of those references are found in this first chapter immediately following the passage we just read. Now, I hadn't planned on this, but I want to go back to to where we just left off in verse 5. Because after that comes verse 6 and the opening words to the letter itself. The verses 1 through 5 are just Paul's greeting. But after that greeting, he begins in verse 6, the body of the letter. And I want you to listen to what he says as he begins this letter. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion or trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that based on those verses, that maybe, just maybe, the main thrust of this entire letter of Galatians revolves around a correct understanding of the gospel? (laughs) Well, obviously the answer is yes. So let's answer the question, what is the gospel? Because this whole issue of of Gentiles coming together side by side with Jews as, as God's people comes down to the question, what is the gospel? Now, like I said, I I believe there's a limited and shallow understanding in our day of what the gospel is. Now, let me explain. All of us are sinners in need of forgiveness. That forgiveness comes through God's Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah. When we place our faith, our complete trust in Jesus, and and the great truth that on the cross he took our place, he took our sin, then we are saved. If you're familiar with the famous Roman road presentation, then you you know it goes like this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you will confess in your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King, and that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, 
most people, when they hear that phrase, you will be saved, they think something like this. Yeah, when I die, I get to go to heaven. And, and that, that's really how most Christians understand the gospel. But that is a very limited understanding of what the gospel is. And what that does is that when people hear the words of Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, and they hear that Jesus rescued us from this present evil age, their first thought is not about where I am now because of my faith in Christ. No, it's about where am I going to be when someday out there in the future I die. Yay, now I get to go to heaven. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not belittling anybody, and I'm, I'm certainly not downplaying the importance of an afterlife. But the gospel is about a whole lot more than going to heaven when we die. In fact, if you want to understand the gospel, uh, you need to go back with me to the gospels right now, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and see what they have to say about the gospel. So let's do that, okay? What does Jesus say about the gospel? Well, listen to these words of Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. They describe the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is right after his temptations in the wilderness by Satan, and Jesus emerges from that trial, and that's when he actually begins his public ministry. And here are his first words. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. That phrase, the gospel of the kingdom, is a phrase that is found over and over and over again throughout the gospels. Listen to what Jesus says as he begins his ministry in Mark chapter 1 verse 15. The words of our Lord, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. That word means change your way of thinking, your worldview, your perspective on life. Repent and believe the gospel, the good news. Well, what good news, Jesus? Well, he just told us the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the good news. The gospel, the good news is that God's kingdom is right now among us. The message of Jesus was God's kingdom is at hand. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus our Lord, and again, I think most of us would do well to say Jesus our King, inaugurated, established God's kingdom. So that the message of the apostles and those early Christians was the gospel or the good news of the kingdom of God established through our King Jesus Christ. And what we often miss is just how related, how connected that announcement of the good news of God's kingdom was to the Roman Empire and, and Caesar, its lord, its king. You know, after Octavian, who became Caesar Augustus, a title of divinity, after Octavian defeated Antony in the naval battle of Actium in 31 B.C., Messengers were sent over all the vast empire or kingdom of Rome, and this is what they said. Good news. 
Augustus Caesar is the Prince of Peace. That's what they called him, the Prince of Peace. Decades of civil war and fighting throughout the world, throughout this great Roman Empire that covers the world, ever since the assassination of Julius Caesar, these decades of war and fighting have been brought to an end by the Prince of Peace, Augustus Caesar, and now the world is once again at peace. Hail Caesar, Lord of Peace. Jesus was born into these days these days of what was known as the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. So that even in the Christmas story, in Luke chapter 2, when we read the announcement of the angel to the shepherds in the field, what do we hear that angel saying? I bring you good news, gospel, which shall be for all people. And don't forget the context of Luke chapter 2 now. It begins by talking about the edict of Caesar Augustus that all the empire should register for taxation. That was his way of throwing his weight around and saying, I am Lord, you will go and do what I say. That's the context in which we read about the birth of the Lord, the King, the true Prince of Peace, Jesus. Are you beginning to get some idea now why Christians ended up persecuted and hated by the Roman emperors? <laughs> Caesar isn't the prince of peace. Jesus is. That was sedition. That was rebellion. It still is. Look, I get the debates and strong emotions connected with politics and presidents in my country, in the United States of America. But I've got to tell you something, okay? Trump, Biden, Obama, Bush, none of these are Lord. And by Lord, I mean the ultimate authority, the answer, the way forward, the, the prince to whom I own my, owe my allegiance. I think one of the, the reasons Christians seem to be finding their identity more in political parties than Christ Jesus the Lord is because they don't understand that all of these things, these presidents, these political parties, this legislation, all of these things are, are part of this present evil age. But as followers of Jesus, we have been rescued from this present evil age, and we are right now celebrating, rejoicing, and living in the reality of God's kingdom established by Jesus through his cross and empty tomb. And someday that kingdom will be, in the words of the theologians, consummated, that is, brought into its fullness, brought to completion. That's what Revelation chapter 11, verse 15 tells us. It says, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And ultimately, listen, because this is important, and ultimately you and I are not going up there somewhere to heaven to live forever with Jesus. No, ultimately heaven is coming to earth. And what God is going to do, God is going to do is he's going to restore things to the way they were before the fall in the garden. Listen to these words of the 24 elders in Revelation chapter 5, verse 10. 
You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. How about these words from the end of Revelation? Revelation 21, chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. Listen, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be them or be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Before that time, yes, the New Testament teaches that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus promised the thief on the cross saying, what, today you will be with me in paradise. But whatever that means, and let's let's just be honest, okay? There's no way we can really know what that means. I mean, now we see in part, then someday we shall know in full. Isn't that what Paul says? What we do know is the Bible promises that when we leave this life, whenever it is, we will be with the Lord. But now back to the gospel, the the good news of the kingdom of God. As believers in Jesus the King, the Lord, we are now citizens of God's kingdom, a kingdom that is right here, right now on earth. And that kingdom exists side by side with what the Bible calls the kingdom of darkness. And that's just another way of describing this present evil age that Paul refers to here in Galatians, the the kingdom of darkness. In fact, I want you to listen to these words from Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, where it says that God the Father has qualified us to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. That's just another way of describing God's kingdom, is to call it the kingdom of light. But did you notice what he says? We are, we are people in the kingdom of light, God's kingdom, because God has rescued us from the dominion or the kingdom of darkness. Notice, rescued us. The same word Paul uses in Galatians chapter 4, rescued us from this present evil age. Now, let me see if I can make this even more clear. Look with me at the invitation uh, the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter gives to the people in the first sermon of this new kingdom age preached on the day of Pentecost, found in Acts chapter 2, verse 40. Peter cries out to his listeners and he says, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. By the way, we're not talking about that now, but that that very phrase, save yourselves, shows something of man's responsibility in responding to the call of God upon our lives as people. But Peter says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Now that word translated corrupt is the Greek word skolios. 
And we get our English word scoliosis from that word. It means crooked. I love the way Eugene Peterson renders this verse in his translation, the message, get out of this sick and stupid culture. (laughs) I love that. Crooked. Sick. Stupid. That pretty much sums it up. Come out of this crooked generation, this present evil age. There's there's something better. You can be in the words of Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, citizens of heaven. Listen, the gospel or good news that comes to us through Jesus Christ and for which you and I are ambassadors, that's what 2 Corinthians 5.20 calls us, ambassadors of Christ, ambassadors of King Jesus, And just like those messengers sent out by Caesar Augustus to announce his good news or his gospel, our message for those trapped in this hopeless, dead-end, evil age, this crooked place, this dominion of darkness is good news. God's kingdom is here for you right now. Now, when we come to understand this, It opens the door for us to understand the heart of the issue found in Paul's letter to the Galatians. And we begin to see how very relevant it makes this letter for us today. One of the greatest dangers for many Christians, especially those of us living in democracies, countries that promote personal freedoms, one of the big issues for us is that we be careful so that we don't end up becoming Christian nationalists, unable to distinguish between God's kingdom and, and whatever kingdom we're living in. Because whatever kingdom we're living in, as good as that kingdom, as good as that nation is, look, it's still a kingdom of this world. It's still a kingdom in this present evil age. I saw this in South Korea. You know, they don't have to worry about it up in North Korea. But South Koreans, they they are uber patriotic. I love that about them. A a few years back, and I can't remember where I read this, but a few years back at one of the Olympics, there was a group who went around and recorded the reactions of citizens from different countries as they cheered their their athletes on to victory. And, and, And what this group recording these reactions did is they would see a group from some country, say Germany, And they would shout out to them, go Germany. And all the Germans would just cheer loudly, you know, celebrate. And so they did this with several countries and people. But when they came to the South Koreans, and when they said, go South Korea, they said the Koreans just went ballistic more than any other group, shouting and celebrating louder, more boisterous, more demonstrative. Koreans love their country. And you know what? They should. And as Christians, they should be the best of citizens, those who know the Lord. So should we. I love my country. My son is a United States Marine. Ooh-rah and Semper Fi. From California to the New York Island, from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters, this land was made for you and me. But as much as I love my country, My allegiance is first and foremost to God's country, God's kingdom, 
And my president, my prime minister, actually he's more like a benevolent dictator because his word is the last word. There's a real sense that that what Paul is confronting in Galatians as he defends the gospel against those he says are who are he says who are perverting it. That's what he says. He says they're perverting it. There's a real sense that what Paul is confronting in this letter is just first century Jewish nationalism. In order to be a part of God's kingdom, you must become Jewish. You see, we had this covenant. You see, God established this covenant with us on Mount Sinai, and, and that covenant tells us what to do, how to behave, what we can eat, what we can't. And it's very plain, they said, that the Messiah was promised to us Jews, and, and our scriptures teach us that all the nations are going to stream to our temple in Jerusalem, and now that our king has come, Jesus, he is our Lord, our king, and he can be yours too, you can have the same status as us if you will become Jews. And Paul said, balderdash, nonsense, heresy. He called them false brothers. And let me be honest with you, this is just my view. But I don't think Paul meant by that that they really weren't Christians. I think he meant that when it came to understanding who was in the family of God, who belonged, who had full status, these guys were leading people astray. That made them false brothers, false family members. Kind of like here in the United States. You know, my daughter's an immigration attorney. In fact, she teaches immigration law. But her job is to help people become full citizens of the United States. You see, there are a lot of people living here who aren't citizens of our country. They enjoy a lot of freedoms and opportunities, but still they're not full-fledged citizens of the United States of America. And that's kind of what these Judaizers are saying to the Gentiles. To really be a part of us, you must become one of us. Paul says, no, that's a lie. That's not the gospel of the kingdom. Now, I think I've mentioned this verse before already in some of these podcasts. I don't know, but it's, it's one of those verses that I'll, I'll mention over and over, and we need to hear it again and again. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. In that verse, Paul speaks of what he refers to as the manifold wisdom of God that is found in the church. In the church, we find God's manifold wisdom, and that word manifold, is the same word used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, to describe Joseph's multicolored coat. Paul is saying that through the church, all of us who trusted Christ and have come together as one, through the church we see God's multicolored wisdom. Red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. To be just culturally Jewish or American or French or Korean or Vietnamese or Chinese or Ugandan, well, that's just vanilla. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I like vanilla ice cream. Had some the other night about 3 o'clock in the morning. Have to hide it from my wife. Hope she didn't hear this podcast. But, you know, if that's all I ever ate, if, if all I ate was vanilla ice cream, well, I guess I could be happy. But you know what? I like chocolate and pistachio and cookies and cream. 
Tell you, I'm making myself hungry just thinking about it. But, but you get what I'm saying, right? Paul is fighting in this letter for your right to be who you are and express yourself in Christ through your customs, your traditions, your food, your music. Because you see, and and I think I'll close with this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Those words, of course, are from the heart of Galatians, chapter 3 and verse 28. And it's with those words I close today. This has been Church on the Edge with Dan Armistead, rethinking what church is and what church should be. If you like this episode, please leave a review at your preferred podcast provider, And you can find out more about this podcast as well as my articles, coming books, and more at danarmistead.com. And remember, it's all about Jesus and following Him as His church on the edge.